I'm Denise Bailey. And I'm Dr. Monica Parker. And you're listening to My Parents Are Now My Kids, a medical doctor's view and daughter's journey through memory loss and other dementias. As a doctor, I'll help you navigate through the often confusing, confounding, and frequently frustrating technical aspects of dementia. And as a daughter, I'll share with you some things I've experienced caring for and loving my parents who both struggled with these disorders. We want you to have hope and to see that there is light at the end of the tunnel. And we'll tell you that sometimes that light is coming straight at you and you just have to get out of the way. Let's get started. Hi, Dr. Monica. Hi, Dr. Denise. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Very well. Thank you so much for asking. Well, we always talk about Alzheimer's and we know that there is no cure. But in recent years, there is an experiment using flickering that has shown promise. Now, flickering in layman's terms is exactly as it sounds. A person in a lab setting is being exposed to light pulsing at 40 beats per second or 40 hertz. This causes the brain to release a surge of signaling chemicals that may help fight the disease. And I'm proud to say that in your current role, leading the Minority Engagement Corps at the Alzheimer's Disease Research Center at Emory University in Atlanta, you are involved in this groundbreaking study in conjunction with the Georgia Institute of Technology in Atlanta. So, Dr. Monica, tell us about the study and how it came about. Okay. What the study you're referring to, we call Flickr, and the principal investigator at Georgia Tech who started this back in 2016 was Dr. Annabelle Singer. Dr. Annabelle Singer is a PhD doctor, not a medical doctor, who studies the different processes that may be involved in developing Alzheimer's. One of the underlying theories for the development of Alzheimer's is that Alzheimer's is um, increased inflammation, a type of inflammation in the brain. One of the things that fights inflammation are something called microglia. And in order to fight the inflammation, whatever that inflammation is coming from, you need certain cells to kind of help fight the infection, if you will, infection causes um, inflammation. But in the brain, we think that one of the underlying mechanisms for Alzheimer's is inflammation. And so in the Flickr study, which has been conducted on mice, the flickering light activates or increases the amount of inflammation-fighting cells that work to get rid of the inflammation. Those are the microglia. So that's what flicker does. Flicker lighting, flickering lights increase those cells that fight fight inflammation. And inflammation is what we think of as, as one of the root causes of the process that we know as Alzheimer's disease. So what did uh, you all see in the mice when you subjected them to this flickering? We found that there was an increase in something called cytokines, which are um, 
you call them chemicals, so I'll stick with the word that you're using. They're a kind of chemical that stimulates macrophages, the inflammation-fighting cells. So these cytokines are released, increasing the activity that fights the inflammation. So that's what they saw in the mice. They found more microglia, uh, microglia, some people may see, say, activity in those mice whose brains were exposed to this flickering light. Now, it's not a lower amount of um, light. I think it's 40 hertz of light. It was 20 hertz of light didn't induce the same kind of change, didn't make more inflammation-fighting cells. So 40 hertz of light generated increased inflammation-fighting cells or cytokines. So has this been tested on humans? And if so, what have been some of the results? Well, we are testing flicker in humans. The results have not yet been fully analyzed, but that was the partnership between Georgia Tech and Emory University scientists. They were studying, while Georgia Tech was studying flicker in mice, there were people at Emory who were applying the flicker concept to humans. So I don't know what the results are yet. They have not yet been published. So the mouse models, that's how most research begins with non-human study, it begins with mouse models. So at Georgia Tech, they were developing the Flickr concept. And when they think they had refined it enough, they said, well, let's see if we can take what we've developed in mouse models and see if we can use it in primates or humans. Usually um, a study may go from mice to primates, i.e. apes or monkeys, and then from monkeys we go to humans. Um, But that's how research evolves. So at Emory, we were testing the flickering light on humans to see if we would generate the same immune response. And again, the idea is that we would fight the inflammation in your immune system, your body's immune system that fights diseases and inflammation is activated to the point where it would eat up the things that were causing inflammation in the brain and thereby stop or halt the process of Alzheimer's inflammation. That was my next question. How might it help fight the disease? But if these flickering lights are able to reduce the inflammation in the brain, that is positive. That's very positive because we think that Alzheimer's, uh, again, these are a spectrum of neurodegenerative disorders And we think at base, they are kind of, um, let's think of Alzheimer's as like an infection, a type of infection, uh, by way of describing what I'm trying to say. Um, And to fight that infection, you need certain kinds of cells. So flickering light induces the infection fighting cells to jump into action and fight the inflammation that's causing the illness. In this case, the illness is Alzheimer's. Does that make it a little bit clearer? It does. It's it's really clear. Thank you for that. So I know you said it's still in the animal testing stages and 
will eventually uh, go full force, I guess, to humans. But can you describe what a flickering session may look like? Well, somebody who is in the study is uh, generally attached to a um, some lights uh, are in a room and they they flicker. I'm not partic- I've not participated in that particular study, but it's exposing humans to light in the same manner that we expose the mice to. So it's like flickering like think. Um, I'm not exactly sure how, what the protocol is or how it's conducted, but a way, an analogy might be like being in a disco where you have flickering lights, you know, the mirror balls with the flickering light. Right, right. Okay. And and so you would be subjected to that. um, You would say, sit in a room. This is just me. So uh, listeners don't think this is gospel and this is the way it happens, but I understand what you're saying. It sounds like the subject may be sit in a sitting in a dark room and then lights might be flashing around them at 40 around them or looking at a device where lights are flashing. Yes. Wow. Okay. And that, how long do you think they would sit? Would it be five minutes, 10 minutes, an hour? Do you, can you, do you know? I don't really know that part of that protocol. So I'm not really in a position to really comment on that piece because I have not seen the actual protocol, but it's nothing that is harmful. It doesn't take it, nothing harmful, nothing invasive. Let me put it that way. Like nobody's sticking needles in you or putting electrodes on your head or your heart, your none of that. No. Okay. Okay. So if, if approved, what, what is the process? How, I know studies take quite some time and you have to obviously do all the research and the testing and everything, but uh, do you find it promising and do you find that it might be something that would be beneficial and how long would this testing take? I think that it, it's, it's almost like the vaccines that we're trials that we're talking about. You got to start small. So before we get to humans, we start in animals and we go from the mice to the larger primates, larger primates being things like chimpanzees um, and apes. And then if we've done a certain amount of work in that uh, type of specimen, then we'll say, okay, this has been safe for these primates. Let's try this in humans. So we start small with studies in human studies. Phase one trials usually involve less than 100 people. Then you go to phase two and phase three trials. Phase three trials involve thousands upon thousands of people. And then when you're in those trials, in the phase three trials, that's basically we've determined that whatever it is we're studying or we're using is safe for people. Now we want to see how high a dose is safe for people. What's the highest dose that's most efficacious or does what we want it to do? So let's just say we were fighting acne. And we were trying to see how high a dose of medication we had to use to get rid of the acne. So it'd be how much, how much, how much. That's what happens in a phase three trial. A phase three part of a trial involves several thousand people. And it's like, what's the maximum dose? So you usually have two or three dose ranges. And we try to decide which dose range is most effective. And when we decide which dose range is most effective, 
then we say, okay, we're ready to use this as a therapy. And at this particular dose, we don't have bad side effects. You understand? So phase one is, okay, we're transitioning from the uh, non-humans to the human model. And then in the phase two and phase Phase two is kind of like what we call a dose escalation trial. We know from phase one that now we've transitioned to humans and this is safe for humans. So now we go up to dose escalation to see what's the most effective dose. And three is maximum and minimum kinds of things. But phase two is really kind of dose escalation. Let's see how much higher we can get this and what are the side effects that we observe at what level. That kind of thing. That's how you get the uh, inserts uh, in different drugs that people take. We've learned through research that these are the things that you will observe at this dose of this medication. So phase three trials, the Flickr study hasn't yet reached the point where it is in phase three trials, which means that it's near ready to be disseminated to the general public. That has not been done. So the Flickr study has not been moved to a phase two or a phase three trial. So it's not yet ready for public consumption, but it's coming. Right. So it's still in phase one. So um, I'm sure uh, different researchers like yourself and and others share your information with other institutions. Are you all in collaboration with other institutions across the country? Is it right now it is just contained? at Emory slash Georgia Tech? Well, it's more than just Emory and Georgia Tech. This actually started at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. Um, So as research progresses, more and more centers um, become involved. But the original part of Flickr, started by Dr. Singer, was begun at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And then when Dr. Singer came to Georgia Tech, she was refining her work and she partnered with Emory. So the statement would be that there are other universities likely to be involved in the next successive stages of this study, likely to be also somewhere in one of the uh, universities in Massachusetts or maybe even some more here. So a lot of Alzheimer's research is conducted in the state of Georgia, not just at Emory, but Georgia Tech, Georgia State, and Morehouse. Uh, The Alzheimer's, the Goizueta Alzheimer's Disease Research Center is part of like a network of research centers around the country. So if Flickr is successful here, we may get other Alzheimer's disease research centers. There are over 30 around the country in California, West Coast, things like that, that will probably also participate. So we do collaborate. We do pool our resources and pool our knowledge to try to get those trial numbers up to a point where it's representative. So you usually get more people to partner trying to get something that's innovative and effective to work. So more um, sites will likely be added. And they're added when there's money enough to conduct the study. That's why we push for Alzheimer's research dollars and the National Institutes of Health budget. To budget. All the money that goes to in the, the National Institutes of Health goes into research into things like Alzheimer's disease. 
Well, that's awesome. That is very, very awesome. Um, I want to end on that high note, but I also just want to ask a quick question that may be silly to ask, but when people, the layman and people out there hear this flicker study, hear 40 flickers of light per second, some may try to go home and replicate this and do it at home. So I know this is stating the obvious, but I think we should tell people, don't try this at home. Wait till the study is complete. Is that correct? Because someone might get into a room and try to flicker light and think that's going to help them or their loved one. Well, but there are different kinds of light. So you don't, it's, it's, that's wrong. So you shouldn't try to do this. Oh, I read that flickering light helps Alzheimer's. Well, it's different kinds of light applied in a certain manner. And just flicking the light switch in your home isn't going to duplicate the flicker study. So we wouldn't want you to do that any more than we would want you to drink bleach to get rid of the COVID virus. Somebody said that once uh, earlier during the pandemic, that you could drink bleach and the COVID, it would kill the COVID. That's, that's not how you literally interpret science. You let scientists work through the process. And when they tell you it's safe, then it's safe. So no, we don't want you to turn the light switches on and off at home, thinking that you can duplicate what Dr. Annabelle Singer and her colleagues have done, because that's that wouldn't be accurate and that's not the way to do it. Thank you for that. So I want to say thank you so much for telling us about the Flickr study. I'm proud to say that you are involved and it's groundbreaking. So it sounds like it's in its early stages and um, we will update our listeners in the future when we find out more and you tell us more about it. And we can't wait to see the results and hope and pray that it is helpful in the treatment of Alzheimer's. Thank you, Dr. Monica. See you next time.